Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And what you're about to hear was one of our breakout sessions from our Young Adults Conference back in March. This uh, breakout session was uh, done by, well, our speaker was Betsy Dirks, and, um, who is married to John Dirks, our senior pastor. And she specifically was speaking out of Romans 12 to the young women at our conference. Um, surrounding the topic of the glory of God and how to glorify God as young women today. So I hope that this uh, message is an encouragement to you. Thanks for listening. We're having a little girls' night here. Yay, yay, yay. A little girls' session. So awesome. Glad you guys are all here. I'm Betsy, and I'm married to Pastor John, and we are so happy to be here tonight. Like, we feel extra blessed to be part of what's going on. Part of the reason that is, is because it was actually in our um, teenage years that God showed us his glory, and you heard John talking about that, you know. Um, It was in our teenage years, when I was a young woman, just like you guys are, that's when God got a hold of my life and changed everything about me. So you're in this really amazing time of life where God can do really great things in you, and he did that in me, and so we love John and I just love this age group because it's, it seems to be where God really does an awakening and a work in your heart. So we're so excited to be here tonight. Um, I want to know, um, how many of you came tonight because a friend brought you? Anybody? Raise your hand. Nice. Awesome. So glad you're here. How about first time in this room ever? Those same two people. (laughs) No, maybe not? Okay, cool, cool. Um, How about this? Um, I'm always about games. I love playing games. I love, um, like, giving out, you know, presents for things. So here's my question. I want to know who drove from the furthest place tonight. This one. Where'd you drive from? Sierra. Wait, where? Where'd you drive from? Oh, it's Sierra. Where'd you drive from? What? Yeah, how far is that? Caitlin's like, I'm going to challenge you. What? Anybody drive longer than 45 minutes to get here? What? 50. How, where, where was that? Okay, somebody get out their maps. No, just kidding. I don't know. We'll trust you. Okay, kudos to both of you guys for getting here tonight and expecting God to work. And you know what? We're just going to give you both. You're going to both get a little beanie for coming tonight, because I just love handing out like little prizes. I'm so glad you guys came. And um, one of the things, you, you could have done so many things tonight, Friday night, not always the night where you want to get out, maybe it's been a long week, but you chose to show up here tonight, and I'm praying that that effort of faith to show up at a place where we're going to, okay, well, I go to church on Sunday, I go on Wednesday nights, I'm always hearing God's word, or I come on Thursdays to 20s. No, you came again to hear from God, and I'm praying that he makes good on that act of faith that you guys have um, given tonight. So, okay, question. I love that we had a little dialogue, um, because I wanted to ask, you guys kind of got in little groups right after Pastor John's message. I want to know something that jumped out to you um, in that first message on show me your glory. Just shout it out. What was something that, that you were like, whoa, that was awesome. Come on. I'm not going to go on until someone says something. 
the Grand Canyon, which was kind of funny because he kept putting up, Angie kept putting it up. He didn't probably explain Angie when it was supposed to go up. God bless you for being back there. I actually am going to need that picture in mind, so have that ready. No. <laughs> um, um, okay, the Grand Canyon. Why was that so amazing to you? Yes. What a great illustration. Totally. And we, this is where we, we get all into this dumb hole that we're building. And we all are like, so amazing. And then you, right behind you is the Grand Canyon. I would love that illustration. I'm right there with you. Anybody else? What else, what else jumped out at, at you about show me your glory? I love that he talked about um, wherever you spend your time, it's where you've grown the likeness of. Mm. Like, <laughs> You're like, uh, what I love, I'm going to become. Whoa, that is kind of a, a heavy, but good for us to think about, right? Even I, I need to think about that. Um, even if I'm a pastor's wife, where do I, what are the things I love? What am I doing all day long? And that's what I'm going to become. That was really thought-provoking, so that's so good. Well, guess what? I'm going to take you to a different passage than Pastor John. He kind of had you in a couple different passages. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Romans, and I want you to go to chapter 12, okay? Open up your Bible. Um, I want to hear those pages rustling. I love the Word of God, and I want to hear it. Maybe you brought your phone. That's fine, too. But open up your Bible to, um, to Romans chapter 12. Pastor John talked about, show me your glory, how awesome God is, and why he cares about his own glory. But I want to talk to you about why we should care about his glory. And he talked about that a little bit. But we're going to get really practical. What does it mean to give glory to God? He answered that a little bit. What does it mean for us as women to give glory to God? Um, For you as a young woman to give glory to God? Does it mean that you stop three times a day and you bow with your forehead to the ground, like a lot of people do over in the Middle East, right? Three times a day, they stop in the middle of what they're doing. They get down, their forehead goes to the ground, and they bow. Is that what it means to glorify God? Does it mean that on Sundays, right when you're done with church, you have to go right home and be silent all day? Because that's glorifying God. Is that what it means? Does it mean that you have to check your screen time and make sure that you read your Bible longer than you were on Instagram? Is that what it means to give glory to God? Maybe it's this. Does it mean that you have to have an I love Jesus hashtag on every one of your social media posts? (laughs) Of course not. None of this necessarily means that. But it's good to think about what does it mean to give glory to God? Well, I want to take you to this passage in Romans where we hear from the Apostle Paul What does he have to say about the glory of God, and what should we do in response? So this is all about our response to seeing the glory of God. What should we do? Now, um, when you get to Romans 12, it starts out, um, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, I'm going to say sisters tonight. I appeal to you, therefore, sisters. Now, I already have to stop you, because when you get to the word therefore, you have to. Every time you read the scriptures, when there is a word therefore, you have to go back to what was said right before it to get context and to understand what Paul's saying. So he's going to go into this awesome one, two verses in in chapter 12 and beyond, but it's all based on what went on before chapter 12. So I want to go back into chapter 11 a little bit and see what's Paul doing, right? And at the end of chapter 11, guess what he's doing? In verse 33, he's singing a worship song to the Lord. 
And he's really worked up about how awesome and great God is. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. He's having a wow God moment, right? Jaw dropped. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or who has given him a gift to him that he might repay? For from him, and Pastor John said this verse, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul is like, whoa, wow. He's just going, wow, this is the God that I serve. I got to stop for a second and do a little worship session. And he says, oh, I just love that he writes the word oh in there. Like it's a big pause of... I can't take it in, right? Have you ever been to that place? And actually, Pastor John brought up the Grand Canyon. Have you ever been to that place where you were just, wow, God? Like, wow. Maybe you've seen a lot of beautiful places. Who's been to the Grand Canyon? Aim, of course you've been there. What was your response to the Grand Canyon? Aim. Amazement, right? It's jaw dropping. You come up to the cliff and go, I don't even know how this came into existence. Is that picture there? Probably not. (gasps) Wow. There's so much about that. I mean, yeah, it's wow. Thanks, Ange, for that. Thanks, John, for putting that in your message. Or, how many of you guys have been to Niagara Falls? Okay, what was that like? crazy. Were you like, wow, right? I want to get there. I have not been there yet. Um, But when I think of Niagara Falls, and this is the verse I'm going to be thinking, you know, in um, Revelation 1, um, he gets, John gets a vision of God. And he says that, that he he gets this vision and, and he sees God, he sees Jesus, I believe, and his, Jesus's hair is white like wool, and I'm not talking like gray hair that I have to cover up now that I'm getting a little older. It's not Jesus doesn't have gray hair. He has white wool like snow. And this winter, we saw a lot of snow with sun on it. And what did it do to your eyes? You're like, oh, I need my glasses. It's so bright. Okay, Jesus has hair that's that bright. And it says in Revelation 1 that his eyes are like a flame of fire. What? Can you look into a flame of fire? Barely. Um, And then it says, this is the Niagara Falls part, it says that his voice is like the sound of many waters. That's what I think of. You go to Niagara Falls, you're in the boat, I'm just imagining, I'm dreaming, I want to go there one day. You get under there, you're getting soaking wet, and you're like, you're trying to tell your sister something, you probably can't even hear their voice. I don't even know, because it's so loud, it's so deafening. That's the voice of the Lord. It's like the sound of many waters, right? So those are wow moments when you see, like, okay, I got it. Now, this is kind of cool. A couple of years ago, John and I, we were in the middle of, I know, sorry, Emma, I keep bringing it up, um, but Emma's um, beaten, beating leukemia, which is an awesome praise to the Lord, but in the middle of it, it was really hard, um, John was like, Bets, we got to get out of here, um, Emma's going to be fine for this week, let's drive out to one of our favorite national parks, and that's Yosemite National Park, and um, I just needed a breather, I needed to get out of the medical world, and so we hopped in the car, drove out to California, and um, won the lottery to climb Half Dome. And I want to show you a picture of Half Dome, the far away picture. Okay, so there's me and John, obviously. 
And that mountain back there is called Half Dome. And we climbed, not the front of it. Everybody, when I show that picture, people are like, oh, you went up the front of it? I'm like, no. We, didn't go <laughs> we went up the back of it. But we, like right there, when you're sitting in that valley, you're like, what? How did this thing just show up? Well, it didn't just show up. It was breathed into existence, right? By God and by Jesus Christ. Awesome. Well, the next picture was us climbing Half Dome. And I have to tell you, it was, it was scary. <laughs> it was scary. And it was exhilarating. So we went up. And then I got up there and I was like, how do I get down right now? Because I don't know how the going down part's going to be. Like I had figured out, I got up, but you got to get back down. And actually, and everybody had a different opinion about going up was way more scary. Going down is way more scary. So you kind of were like, oh, once I got up there, I was like, okay, I got the up part. No, the down part. So we didn't stay up there very long. And on the way down, it's so great. I felt way more comfortable going down. And I turned around. And I wish I had the picture of what we could see. But, you know, I didn't really want to take a picture when I was in that spot because I wanted my hands on that, on that thing. But I turned around and I was like, I had a wow God moment. I mean, and I actually just shouted out, glory to God. Because I was so overwhelmed by how amazing this creation was that he just spoke into existence. I had a glory to God moment when I got on Half Dome. It blew my mind that, he, that God could just speak something like that into existence. That's a wow God moment, right? And that's what's happening with Paul in chapter 11 here. Paul is talking about just a little context here. Um, he, he explains in chapter 11 some difficult things, but, but some of the difficult things that he explained is that the Jewish people, the Israelites, you know them, they're, they're always running from God, and God's always running after them, right? They're like, you know, we, we want to go back to Egypt. We hate it here. We hate the food. Go back to Egypt. You know, God's in this conflict with them constantly. They're re rebelling, then they repent, and God gives grace. Well, he also... While Jew, the Jews have rebelled against God, um, God decides, you know, Jews, I'm going to leave you there for a while. You're going to stay rebel rebellious for a little while, and I'm going to let the Gentiles get saved. While you guys are just being stinkers over here, and you're not getting your, your hearts softened, God decides, I'm just not going to send my, the gospel the Messiah to the Jews. I'm going to send the Messiah to the Gentiles. And while the Jews are sitting in rebellion, God makes this way for the Gentiles to be welcomed in. That's awesome. So Paul's talking about this. Like God is so great. While he's, he's giving sort of a grace and this blindness is happening to the Jews, he makes a way for everybody else who's not an Israelite to hear the gospel and to be reconciled with Christ. Then, Paul says, guess what God did? He didn't leave those Jews there. He chased after them and went after them, and, and they had an opportunity to repent. So it's so cool. How can God do that? How can God work in the Jews' life, work in the Gentiles' life, come back and chase after the Jewish people? Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Who can know God? That's what Paul's saying. He's blown away after chapter 11 chapters of how great God is and what he's done for us and the Jewish people. He says, I got to stop and have a little worship session. Okay? Well, guess what? Based on that worship session, he finishes up. He wraps up chapter 11, and he's like, oh, my, I got to tell you, Romans, books to the Romans, we got to do something. We see this great and awesome God, therefore, therefore, based on all how God is so great and glorious, and he's sovereign, how he can 
let the Jews be rats for a while and rebellious and include the Gentiles, then go back to the Jews. I mean, I don't, that's mind-blowing that God can do that. He, how inscrutable are his ways? We'll never know how awesome God is, right? I love the verse, Psalm 89, 6. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones? And how awesome are all who are, are around him, about him. Wow, God, I love that. So what is Paul going to tell us? He gets this image of God and how awesome God is, and he's got something to tell the Romans, and he's going to pass that book in the scriptures onto us. So girls, how can we give glory to God after we've seen an amazing God? He says, I appeal to you, verse 1, therefore, based on how awesome God is, sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How can a young woman give glory to God? Point number one, relinquish your life. Relinquish. There it is. You need to know how to spell it. It's kind of a tricky word, but I loved it because it's this idea of prying your fingers off something that you love. Give your life away. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Give yourself to God, your whole life to God as an act of worship. He's so amazing. He's so glorious. He deserves our worship. Have my life, Lord. Sacrifice? Really? That's kind of a scary word. We've heard that word a lot in the Old Testament, right? We know all about the Old Testament, and I'm sure you've heard the stories when Israel would sin, they were to take an animal, right? One of the best animals, not one of the hurt animals, you know, not one of the ones that you're like, eh, we don't need him anyways. No, it was always like the perfect little lamb, right? Perfect, spotless, blameless, or, you know, without blemish. Um, take an animal and offer it, place it on the altar. And they had to watch this whole experience, guys. Any of you guys who have loved your animals, it would be quite, uh, I think, moving to take a little animal that you've kind of grown to like and put it on the altar because you have sinned. That's a pretty, pretty significant moment. Um, And that animal would take the place of your sin. That That life sacrificed would cancel out the debt of the debt of sin. And while that's a little foreign to us, um, it's the idea of taking something extremely valuable, something precious, and giving it up as an act of worship, right? As a way to honor. Surrendering a priceless possession that you would never get back. Just like Abraham did with his son Isaac. Here's my son. My only son, the the actual, the son that I thought your promise that you made that I was going to become a great nation and have kids as much as the stars, but you want me to put Isaac on the altar and sacrifice him? Out of obedience, Abraham's going to give. Or I think of, um, it's that precious, this precious possession. I think of um, the parable in Matthew 13, where the kingdom of heaven is like a rich merchant in search of fine pearls, who who upon finding the one pearl, so he's got all this, he's got riches. He finds the one pearl and he's like, take all that. 
means I, I don't need any of that because I've found the one pearl, right? The, the precious treasure. Um, this doesn't matter to me anymore. Paul urges us in light of God's glory that we are to give the ownership of what is most precious to us. And I hate to say it, and maybe we don't always realize it, but your life is the most precious thing to you. Whether you can admit that or not, whether I can admit that or not, it's the most precious thing to us. We're supposed to present our bodies, our lives as a living sacrifice to God to hand over every ounce of our being to the Lord Jesus. Take my life, Lord. Take everything about me. Take everything about my body. Take my mind. Take my words. I think of that song. Take my life and let it be. Consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Right? Take my hands. Take my feet. My voice. My lips. My, take my silver and my gold. My intellect. Take my will. That's a hard one. Take my heart. Take my love. Take myself. And I will be ever only all for thee. I love that. When you get a glimpse of God and his glory, it changes you. John said that. And you can't help but want to offer your entire being to him. You want to present your body a living sacrifice to give him glory. I think of what Jesus says in Luke 9.23. If anyone would come after me, what does he have to do? Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Christ. Oh, well, I did that already. You know, I prayed with my mom when I was six years old. I gave my life to Christ. I was kneeling right by her bed. I became a Christian. Well, I'm not talking about the one moment of salvation. When I say relinquish your life, I'm talking about ongoing service for the king of kings, moment by moment. How often are we to take up our cross, did Luke say in that verse? Daily. Every morning. I'm yours today, Lord. I'm not going to live for my glory today. I'm going to live for your glory. I'm not living to make my name great today. I'm living to make your name great. It's a daily denying of self, daily hating your sin, daily confessing your obsession with yourself. I have to do that all the time. And longing to be a holy and acceptable offering to the Lord. I love in Luke chapter one, when the angel shows up to Mary, <laughs> and let's just be honest, Mary's thinking she's engaged and about to get married to Joseph. And most of, for most of us, that's a really great moment. Right? I can't, I'm going to marry Joseph. He's this like great carpenter in the area. Going to have a great reputation. Angel shows up. Whoa. <laughs> I'm going to be pregnant. Everyone's going to know that I'm not married yet. There goes my reputation. Oh, and Joseph's not as much into me as he was a little bit ago. That's a lot going on. 14-year-old little girl. 14-year-old young woman. You know what Mary says to the angel? I am your servant. Do what you want with me. I love that. That's the whole idea of presenting your body as a living sacrifice, right? How can we give glory to God, ladies? Relinquish your life. Give it away. Two, refuse to conform. I love this passage of scripture. God used it in my younger years to get my head 
on mission for Jesus Christ. On mission in terms of just getting my heart, my life. It's not my life anymore. Okay, well, refuse to conform. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this world, Paul says. Straight up command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, hey, just watch out for this. It is, do not be conformed. You want to give glory to God? Do not be conformed to this world. Um, Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Don't conform. Don't act like the world. Refuse to follow the world. Refuse to look like the world. To act like the world. To think like the world. To live like the world. To be like the world. Don't conform. While I was studying, I have kind of random weird moments, and I was studying this, and guess what came to mind? Monsters, Inc., Randall. Do you know who Randall is in Monsters, Inc.? Okay. He's that jealous gecko who hated Mike and Sully. Please tell me you've seen Monsters, Inc. Have you seen, or Monsters University? Okay. You. I know you're all young women, (laughs) young adults, but I hope you can be okay with a, a Disney movie. Anyhow, this jealous gecko hates Mike and Sully, and he had this amazing ability to camouflage himself, right? Um, he was always kind of skulking around trying to hear what Mike and Sully were talking about. And so he would sneak into a room and camouflage himself. Well, that's the idea of conforming to the world, okay? You start looking and acting like your surroundings. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't be conformed to this world. How's that going in your life? In light of the glory of God, how's that going in your life? Friends, the voices of this world are calling for our attention. And it offers things that look so glorious to our finite minds. It's like that little, little hole that John was digging. We think, oh my, that's so amazing. I want that. It's so amazing. Because our minds are so finite, right? Money. Oh, money can get us a lot of things. Cars. Friends relationships, popularity. I know I could be happy if I was as popular as that person. Partying, drugs, opposite sex. All of those things have a sparkle about them. But Paul says, Christian, don't be caught up in that. Don't conform to this world. It grieves the Lord and it won't bring him glory. There are so many ways that we as women can begin to conform to this world. And throughout our entire life, we're going to be tempted. I hate to say it, but it's not just going to be when you're 16 that you're tempted to conform to the world or when you're 26. It happens when you're 46, where the things of this world sparkle and you, you're like, ah, oh, I want that. I can remember, don't laugh. When I was 16, you know what I really wanted? Actually, it was about 15, 14 Oh my word, the coolest people at my high school had guess jeans. Is that even a brand anymore? Guess jeans? Okay, guess jeans. And it wasn't just like blue jean. And I know, this is, you know you're getting old when the styles are coming back. It was acid washed guess jeans, <laughs> which I know are coming back. I wanted a pair of guess jeans so bad because all the cool girls at school had acid washed guess jeans. 
I finally, which is typical in my family, would get them about two years later, <laughs> you know, when they weren't cool anymore. Guest jeans. When I was 16, oh, for some reason, you know why I wanted that? Because I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be liked by the, by the cool people in my school. When I was 26, you know what I was tempted to want to be like? I was just becoming a mom, dropping maybe Luke off at, high, at kindergarten. Maybe it was not that, but any, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, I wanted a minivan because man, if you're going to be a mom, you better have a cool, sparkly new minivan, right? You know, drive up in your new minivan, all my kids in the back. You know what I had? A dumpy white Honda Civic <laughs> this big. And I would put three kids in the back in their car seats and I'd close the door and they would all shift. Like all three car seats would move because we could barely fit them in there. And I was like, I really was like a minivan that would fit my family. But you know what the Lord gave me? A, a great Honda Civic that got my family around safe and sound. But I, I, wanted, to, I wanted the things of this world. I felt pressure to conform because you know what? For some reason I thought the minivan, the whole that we're digging is my, where my happiness is going to be. It's not. doesn't matter what age you are, you're at, no matter the age, the temptation will always be there to conform. Why is it that we want to conform so badly? That list is long. I just picked one thing. One of the reasons you and I struggle with conforming to this world is because we want to be liked. We want to be affirmed. We want glory. Being an outsider, lonely, unloved, that's a frightening thought. And so we do what the world says to do to get more likes, right? We're desperate for the approval of the people around us. And like the Pharisees in John 12, 43, we're people pleasers. Ugh, hate to admit that. Here's what it says in that verse. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Wow, look at her new car. She's 16 and just got a new car. What? Did you see her cool jeans? Man, I want those jeans. Did you see her cute haircut? I thought long hair was cool. Short hair is looking really good right now. Maybe I should cut my hair. It looks so pretty on her. Wow, did you hear the grades she got on those last tests? That's amazing. Oh, my word. Did you hear she got a job promotion? I've been in this job for five years. She gets the job promotion. Wow. Wow. All of us want that kind of praise, but it's a dangerous path. And a life that is consumed with pleasing people is a life consumed with your glory, not God's. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't seek the glory of this world. How can a young woman give glory to God? Relinquish your life. Remember, present your body as a living sacrifice. Refuse to conform. I'm not going there. Last, resolve to transform. Back to our verses. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. Here's our part that I want to highlight. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Man, Betsy, after that last point, I'm kind of discouraged. I hate that I'm tempted by the things of this world. I hate that I'm tempted to look like the world, to want to look like the world. I hate that I'm drawn toward the riches of this world and that I want to please people. I hate that. 
How am I ever going to live a life that glorifies God? And you're saying that my entire life I'm going to be struggling with this, man. I was kind of hoping that was going to end in these earlier years. Yeah, you're going to struggle with it. But I've got good news. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is faithful. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape. We're going to be tempted to conform, but he's going to provide a way of escape. And I feel like it's, it's going to be in this passage. God is faithful. He wants to be glorified by your life, right? You have to want to see his glory. He wants to be glorified by your life, but you have to want his ways. That's the way of escape. You have to want to see his glory. You have to want to be changed and directed by his glory. Listen, the way of escape, the way to escape the pressure of this world is to conform, is to resolve, to transform, to welcome and want the path of change. That's the little, the little saying I want to say, to welcome and want the path of change. To commit to God's plan of transformation through the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, Paul says. And I love Ephesians 2. Okay, if you go back to Ephesians 2, it talks about what we were before Christ. And it says of our minds that they were darkened in their understanding. Before Christ, our minds were, were dark. We were following the ways of the world. We were following the, the, um, the devil and his ways. But we're not enslaved to that darkness anymore. Praise the Lord, right? We're not enslaved like we were before Christ rescued us. Um, but our minds need to keep being renewed day after day. Or else we're going to slide right back into conforming to this world. So let me read some verses that talk about, these are the verses that have rescued me, have helped me resolve to transform and to, and to pursue renewing my mind. Colossians 3, 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. The things of this earth attract us. We want more stuff. We want a boyfriend. We want to be liked. We want affirmation. We're pressured to conform, to conform. But what does the scripture say? Colossians say, seek, 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 set, set your mind on the things above. That talks about resolve and purpose. You're not going to, you're not going to not conform to this world. If you're just kind of like, eh, you have to decide, no, I want transformation. And the way that transformation happens is getting your mind renewed you got to get your mind off of the world and you got to get it on the glories like John talked about, right? Show me your glory, Lord. Show me your glory. I'm stuck thinking about all the things of this world that are sparkly to me. I need to see your glory. And Ephesians 4, 17 was, was a game changer for me. Um, in my young adult years as a young woman, I'm going to try to find it. I, I thought I... Yes, I did mark it right here. Ephesians 4. Now, I want to read it to you a little bit because, and I want you to hear about kind of the transformation of a mind. Um, Ephesians 4, 17. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Right? That's conforming to the world. 
in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've, been cal- they've become callous and have given themselves over to sensuality, greed, and to practice every kind of impurity. That's conforming to the world. But he says here, that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've been that you've heard him and, and you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, basically saying, assuming you're a Christ follower, right? To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That was so helpful for me to see when I got saved. It was this putting off and putting on. I'm not going to be like the Gentiles anymore. I'm not going to conform to this world. I'm going to get my mind renewed and put on the new self that happens when Jesus Christ takes over. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I love that. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's an active pursuit of change. You know, they always say, I'll never get this right. But if you stay in the neutral place, you always end up going bad, right? Neutral isn't safe for you. It's pursuing Christ. It's trajectory going forward, pursuing, pursuing, pursuing. If you think you're going to hang out in neutral zone, you're going to end up conforming to the world. You have to be active about your commitment to be transformed, right? Your mind isn't going to be transformed if you're not resolved to fill it up with the things from above. You must be committed to put off your old ways of thinking and put on new righteous thinking. Talking about our minds being renewed, right? We see the glory of God. Oh my goodness, I want to present my, my life to him. My body is a living sacrifice. I want, to, I want to refuse to conform to the world. And I want to resolve to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says that if you're a Christian, you have the mind of Christ. Well, what? Seriously? How do I get that? Well, you find the glory in this Bible. And you read it. Right? We're in the book of John right now. If you're on the reading plan with us, which I love, um, the, reading, the 90 days through the Gospels, you open up the book of John and you write down everything you can about Jesus. If you want the mind of Christ, you have to read about the life of Christ. You have to. You're not going to be transformed if you don't know who Christ is and what he was like. You get your journal out and you're like, whoa, you know, study how he treated people. Write down, wow, he went to her. I wouldn't have gone to her. You know, what did he talk about? What was he always talking about? Write that down. You want to have a transformed mind. You, have, you want to have the mind of Christ. You have to study what Christ did. Right? And this is last verse in this, in this little section, which was, again, was a game changer for me. This was probably in uh, my later 20s. Um, had some mind battles of fear that I was really working through related to having babies and children, and you know, you love your little kids, and you're, you know, I guess maybe, maybe it'll just be me, but when you have little babies, you start wanting to protect them, <laughs> and then you're like, oh my goodness, I can't actually protect them. Well, I have to trust God with that. So here, here was a good, this was a great um, verse for me, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. It talks about destroying arguments lifted up against the knowledge of God. So all day long, you've got these, these things from the world telling you, this is what your God's like. This is what your God's like. This is what your God's like. And you have to take that thought captive and say, that's not my God. 
That's not my God. My God loves my babies. My God loves my babies, and I can trust him to take care of my kids, even though sometimes I feel like, oh my goodness, if I'm not with him all the time, how do I let him go? No, I can trust God. He's good and faithful, and he loves my kids more than I do. You don't let your mind wander or run amok on things that are, are not true about God. And I'll tell you what, the best example of this was Eve. Greatest example of this was Eve, right? What happened to her? Satan came up and he said, you can be like God. Now, right then and there, she should have destroyed an argument that was being presented before her. The devil was presenting an argument that, that all that God offered her in the Garden of Eden, Eden wasn't as great as being like God. That was, that was her tension. And she thought, hmm, okay, I love all this. This was pretty amazing a little bit ago. But now that you showed up and you, you're saying that to be, a, to be like God, hmm, that sounds really good. You know what she should have done? Stopped her mind right then and said, no, I know how good and awesome my God is. He gave me all of this. You got to stop those arguments. She didn't. And we know what's happened. You have to resolve to destroy thoughts that, are, that contradict the goodness of God. You have to do that, right? You have to destroy anything that's lifted up against the knowledge of God. Take every thought captive. You, um, wash your mind with the glories of God. When I was 15, I had a God's glory moment. And I was really glad they didn't actually ask me about that up here because I was going to tell you guys about it. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, very familiar with the Bible, just like John. My parents taught me to read my Bible and pray, and I was going to church two or three times a week. Um, but it really wasn't until I was 15 or 16 where God, his glory met me. And strangely enough, you know how he did it? I had an older brother, JT's dad, um, who four years older than me went through a really tumultuous high school season. Um, and was extremely rebellious, ran from God, wanted nothing to do with God, um, and was reckless, rebellious. Um, he wreaked havoc in our home. I can remember, and we're talking about like we're Christian family. I can remember my dad and my brother a couple of times actually fist fighting, like my brother going after my dad. It's really scary. I can remember a couple holes in the wall that my brother punched in his rebellion to not want to conform to my parents. Um, and that was, as you can imagine, really kind of disturbing to my home life. I couldn't really predict how my parents were going to be. I remember them being so grieved by his foolish decisions um, and that they were, they were so burdened. And they went through this whole thing. Should we take him out of school, move him to schools, not school? You know, you're kind of hoping something would help, which they did move um, schools. And something began to happen to my brother and he started to change. And he was so dramatically terrible. He went from being absolutely wreaking havoc in our home to a totally different person. And that got my attention. Hey, I, and what's weird about that, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I grew up in, I should know all about the gospel and that, it, that God God's can change a life from darkness to light. But it got my attention and I was like, this is weird. I mean, wow. I didn't know if I should even believe it. It was so dramatic. Um, he ended up going to a youth ministry that was attached to this high school. Um, and he invited me to it. I, had, I think I was in a different youth ministry at the time. Um, he was no longer, he began to not pick fights with me anymore. We had a terrible relationship in our teenage years. Um, and he 
it like overnight stopped. Um, he was no longer kind of fighting with my younger brothers, and he would actually listen to my parents. Well, this got my attention, and, and I found out that he had started going to this youth group, which he invited me to. Long story short, I watched my brother get saved, and eventually God used that youth pastor to confront me in my sin. In God's loving mercy, my heart broke. It was aw- I mean, I was like, he, he was the bad guy. <laughs> my brother, right? Like he was the one that was like so rebellious, wreaking havoc. I show up at the youth group a couple of months into it. My God uses my youth pastor. Like I, I don't know how he saw right through me and sat me down and said, you're not living like what you say you're living. And I was like, oh my gosh, crushed me. Basically I was a hypocrite. God's loving mercy broke my heart, and I wanted to repent. I had a glory moment. I was able to see my extreme self-centeredness, the ways I was conforming to the world around me, and God totally changed me. He transformed me and renewed my mind. And through his word, he's still renewing my mind, fixing the broken things and filling it with his glory. What a miracle. I feel like Paul, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, that he would use my brother, he'd take my brother on a wayward path to bring him back to a youth ministry where that youth pastor there would confront me in my sin and I'd get saved. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. It's so amazing. That's a wow God moment. To God be the glory, right? So let me just read this over you one last time. I appeal to you, sisters, in light of how great and glorious God is, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Lord, we want to see your glory. You've put it in us to want you, to desire you, to worship you. We're so tempted to conform to the world. It's in us, Lord. It's in us. We, we want you, but we want glory, our own glory. We want your glory, but we want the glory of the world. We're, we're torn in between, and we need you to show up. Show us your glory. I pray that right now in this room, so many lovely, beautiful women that you've created, you've got a work going on inside of their hearts, and I can begin to understand what you're teaching and pressing into each individual heart. Even you're amazing in that way. I pray, Lord, draw us in. Change us. I pray that you'd work in these girls and that based on your glory, first that you'd show us more of your glory. Show me more of your glory. And in response to that, therefore, we're going to give our life as a living sacrifice to you. We're going to refuse to conform. We're going to resolve to be transformed by the renewing of our minds to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.